0: Everybody can do this, whether you're using editors or ghostwriters or transcribers. Everybody's got a book within them, and everybody's got the ability to put out a book and put out a good book. But you might need help. You might need tools. You might need somebody to guide you through that. But everybody's got that, and they can do that. Once you realize that, it becomes a lot easier to figure out the, the stuff. It's like Nietzsche said, he who has a strong enough why can deal with any how. Once you know why you're writing this book and that you can do it, then you'll figure out the how and that's the next thing is this why like why are you
1: welcome to innovation and leadership where i interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers elite special operations soldiers startup ceos who sold their companies for billions of dollars pro athletes hollywood filmmakers really as many different kinds of experts as i can the whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate thanks for listening and i hope you enjoyed today's show Today on the show, we've got my friend Josh Steinle back. It's been about three and a half years since he was on the show, back on episode 114. Josh, thanks for making time. Thanks, Jess. It's good to be back on. So we had Josh on the show and found out we were both skateboarders and into art and business and had a bunch of things in common. Since then, he and I have become friends. We've partnered on different things. And one of the things is, Josh, if you don't remember from episode 114. Actually, I'm just going to have you talk a little bit about your background. Cover, cover some of the highlights.
0: Sure. sure. Highlights. Grew up in Los Angeles and ended up in Boston and in between. Spent some time in China and Hong Kong. And I've done few businesses and written a few things, written for Forbes and about 24 other business publications and published my first book in 2016, Chief Marketing Officers at Work. Had the opportunity to interview a bunch of CMOs from great companies like GE, Home Depot, Spotify, PayPal. And yeah, it was the writing for Forbes and the book and everything that kind of blew up my personal brand. Before that, nobody knew who I was. Nobody had heard of me. Nobody cared what I wrote. But once I started writing for Forbes, all of a sudden everything changed and suddenly people cared what I said.
1: Well, hence the reason I found you on the on the Wild Wild World of Web and I had you on the show in the first place. And, you know, one of the things we're doing at Greystoke is we're trying to make shows where we're going to be making other things to try and help entrepreneurs make enough money so they can afford to buy passive income from us from our investment funds. And so when Josh invited me to help out with a course he's built, I was I was really excited. So he's being pretty humble there, but he's had over 300 articles in Forbes and Entrepreneur and all these major media publications and uh, since then, writ, you know, wrote the books, taught the courses, keynote speaking at big major events, people fly him all over. And uh, he generated an extra $10 million of revenue for his advertising agency, creative firm called NWI. And a bunch of CEOs have since come to him and said, Hey, can you teach me how to do that? So Josh, can you talk a little bit about your course that's starting up here and uh, that I'm going to be helping you with? And then I want to actually ask you a bunch of questions about, about why, why books and what it's done for you and what other people can take away for themselves
0: yeah i mean it's like what you said it's when i wrote the book i saw what it did for my me for my personal brand for my business and then the people started coming and saying hey how do i do this how do i publish my own book how do i bu- build this personal brand and it was more how do i build more of a thought leadership system because people were I mean, when you do stuff, people come and they ask you how you did it, right? So when I started writing for Forbes, everybody started emailing me and saying, hey, how do I get into Forbes? How do I do this? And then when I gave a TEDx talk, it was, oh, can you help me do that? How do I do a TEDx talk? And when I wrote a book, it was, how do I write a book? And everything from email list building to blogging to putting up a personal brand website. I've always been getting questions about all these things, about how do you do these things? And over the years, through trial and error and experimentation, I figured out, what works and what doesn't work because I'd go out and I'd do it wrong 10 times. And then finally I'd figure out, okay, this is how you build the website the right way. This is how you get into TEDx. And so as I figured these things out and it started to come together and I saw how these things work together, then I started to have these opportunities to sit down with CEOs and say, hey, let's build you a thought leadership system that is going to generate leads for your business, or it's going to help you build a legacy. It's going to help you find your voice. It's going to help you make whatever impact you want to make, whether that's on your business or in your personal life. And so that's where the framework came. The seven systems of influence was developed out of that coaching and helping people. And that's the framework that I'm now using to coach and to run this course. But Really, when it all came together, I mean, we started doing this mastermind last year and helping people with thought leadership systems, but when it really came together was when I was talking with you and you shared that Disney map with me, and it's, for those who haven't seen this, Walt Disney came up with this map back in the 50s, and it shows how everything's tied together. You've got the theme parks, you've got TV, you've got music, you've got books, all these different things that Disney makes money off of. But in the middle, you've got the movies and the movies really tie it all together. I mean, try to imagine Disney without movies. And when I looked at that map, it hit me. What goes in the middle of your thought leadership system? It's a book. That's the center of everything. That's what ties everything together because the book is the authority piece. It's that credibility thing that tells people, this guy, this gal, they're experts at this stuff. They know what they're doing. And so that's when we said, you know what, we should really relaunch this mastermind and create a thought leadership system around a book program and help people to create that whole system. So it's not just about writing a book. That's not what we're helping people do. There are great programs out there, Tucker Max and Self-Publishing School. There are all these great programs that help you to write a book, but there's no program out there that helps you to create a thought leadership system with a book at the center of it. And so that's what we're trying to create here, right?
1: Yeah, you know, I think about all these different, you know, 400 episodes of the podcast later, there's so few of the really high profile people that have been on the show that don't have one or more books, you know, and I think about just my own experience and and how many folks like when they have a great book, it's such a lead generation tool. Like, not only does it make them a high credibility expert in the industry they're in, but it like literally over and over, we have stories of people who read a book and then called them up and said, Hey, I think I got to hire you guys. Right. So to me, like, you know, I feel like I've been a sales guy for 25 years, even when I was CEO of private equity fund, (laughs) just top sales guy. Right. And so to me, anything that can get people to call me instead of me having to call them gets my attention. You know what I mean? So, well, I'll tell you one of the things that made me excited to be a part of this is the the kind of folks who have come to you even though I'm supposed to be helping you teach this thing, I feel like I'm the student, you know, and I look at who's in here, you know, I'm looking at the videos and, you know, the interviews I did on here with you for, for Stacy and Blake and Ben, and it's like, you know, Stacy has been, become like a real friend and like a mentor of mine, even though I'm advising her on a bunch of these same things, right? Like Ben, he's in private wealth management, manages over $200 million. Blake, uh, on his video, he talked about between his $150 million real estate fund and the other things he'll, his software company these businesses, he'll do 100 million year, uh, hundred million this year in revenue. You know, Stacy's directly raised $8 billion for mutual funds that brought an additional $30 billion of follow-on capital, you know, 38 billion raised. When you think about people of this level of quality, why do you think that they still think they need a book? You know, by a lot of objective standards, they've made it. In your mind, why do people like this still want to do things like get a book done and get a speaking tour going... Stuff like that.
0: The thing is, every entrepreneur that I've known who's successful wants to give back, wants to do something and make a bigger impact than just making money, than just having a successful business. You know, these money-grubbing entrepreneurs, they just want more and more and more. But they don't want more money. They want more impact. That's what they really want to do. And so I look at Blake and it's like, Blake's like, he doesn't need money. He's got money in the bank. He's got a successful business. He doesn't need the money. He doesn't need to sell a bunch of books, but he legitimately wants to help people. And he wants to help specifically entrepreneurs who who are running parallel businesses, who are trying to run more than one business at once. And so he's got his audience that he's zeroing in on. And he says, I want to help these entrepreneurs. Now, he knows it will also funnel back to him and help his business because he's trying to acquire companies. He's trying to find partners. And so if he can write this kind of book, it's going to bring attention to him, and it's going to lead to those partnerships, and it's going to lead to investment opportunities. But really, the heart of it is that he's this service-minded individual, and he wants to give back. He wants to help people. And when you look at Stacy, it's the same thing. It's like she wants to help these smaller fund managers to raise money and compete against the big guys. And so for her, I'm sure her book's going to be about that. It's going to be about how do you launch a fund? How do you grow a fund? How do you start it from scratch? And how do you take on the huge institutional investors and win? And for these people, for me, the part that gets exciting about this is that I listen to these people. And the thing is, they don't think they have a book in them. I mean, none of these people, when we first talked to them said, yeah, I really want to write a book. It was more like, why would anybody want to listen to me? And of course we're sitting there and it's like, you helped somebody raise. you helped companies raise $8 billion. You don't think you have something to share that could be put into a book that people would buy, that people would go crazy over to get that information. Like of course, there's a book in you. And with Blake, too, I mean, he's raised all this money. He's running three successful businesses at once. I mean, everybody tells you, you can't run more than one business at once. You got to focus. And here's Blake. He's running three multimillion dollar businesses, and he's doing well at it, and he's acquiring more businesses. Like, of course, everybody wants to learn about that, Blake. Like, we want to know how you did it but these people are overly humble and they don't see it. So first, the first challenge really has been to convince people, these people, hey, you've got a book in you. And I think everybody has a book in them. I think everybody has knowledge that somebody else can use, that somebody else can benefit from. And I feel like if you've got that kind of knowledge, you have an obligation to share that and put it out there. And it's a book is a great way to get it out there and get it out there in a timeless form that it can stick around for a long time. And help people for the next 30 years.
1: I love it. Well, let's start with let's start with this. H- how long did it take you
0: to write your book after you had done?
1: Was it 20 interviews? I did 30
0: interviews. 30 interviews. 29 got published. Okay. Twitter wouldn't let me publish theirs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. So, Josh, after you did your 30 interviews with, you know, chief marketing officer at Spotify and Audible and all these places, how long from there until you're sending your book off to be published?
0: From the time I finished the last interview until it was actually going out the door, I want to say it was around six or seven months because there was the editing process. Well, first transcription, then editing, then my publisher edited it. Then I had to edit it again because they messed it up. And then they finally got it printed and out the door. But if you work with a publisher, you can count on it taking a year or two longer than if you self-publish. That's just
1: reality. Yeah. So when you think about, I mean, you're, you're a writer already, you're great at writing. You did the 300 articles, you wrote, you know, a thousand blog posts before you got picked up by Forbes, you know, like writing is something you've paid the price to become skilled at for people who feel intimidated, feel like they're not a great writer. They haven't paid the same price as you. What are some of the rookie mistakes that you see folks making when they, you know, first engage in trying to write their book?
0: If somebody lacks the confidence to get started writing a book, the first thing to understand is that you should be writing at about a fifth grade level. A lot of people really get hung up on the English, the grammar, the punctuation, and all these things. And they want to use fancy words. They want to use flowery language that makes them sound impressive. And that's exactly the wrong thing to do. You want to read it about a fifth grade level because that's the level at which people don't have to think about what they're reading. It's just pure knowledge going straight into their head and there's no distraction. If you use all the highfalutin language and stuff, then you actually turn people off and they don't want to read it and they have to think too hard about what you're writing. But a lot of beginning writers get hung up on this, on that language and trying to make it sound good instead of just trying to get their point across. A book is really just a conversation that gets written down between you, the author, and your audience who is listening, who you're chatting with. And if you think about it that way, then it gets a lot easier to write. And then you can say, well, hey, if I'm just having a conversation with my audience, why don't I just record this and just speak into a recorder? And now you're not even writing. You're just speaking. So that's a, an easy way to get started is just hit record, start talking, talk it out. You know, you, you're going to edit it later anyway. So who cares if it's good or it's bad or there's stuff to cut out? Just talk into a recorder, get that down. And then once you get it transcribed, start going through it and say, okay, here's what I'm going to keep. Here's what I'm going to drop. Here's how I'm going to rearrange things." But that first draft should be really bad, whether it's written or whether it's uh, verbal. That first draft is should be terrible. You nobody writes a masterpiece just sitting down and writing it.
1: You know, that's funny you bring that up. That's exactly what I've been talking about with my team. Is my between my business partner John and one of our virtual assistants in the Philippines. I'm going to be talking it out, like explaining it to them. Right the the. I'm going to do the outline and explain these different elements to them. And then again, we're going to have a VA in the Philippines uploaded into Descript. If you don't know that, it's a podcasting software. It's like 15 bucks a month, but it includes really great transcription service for free in there. And so it needs a little bit of human help. So we're going to have a VA go through it and make sure that, you know, clean it up where they get to listen to the audio and it's highlighting the words, whatever, right? It's just cost efficient, quick way to now get all this text to work with. And then we plan on hiring editors to fix me, (laughs) you know, because I, like, I'm going to write some of it, but mostly it's going to be me talking and then people who are better writers than me making it sound good.
0: Yeah. And I... I think I'm an okay writer, but I still use editors. So I'm working on a book right now about LinkedIn, and I have two editors who are working on it with me. And I'll have my wife read it, and I'll have my dad read it, and I'll have a bunch of other people read it. So it's not just me. The pressure doesn't have to be all on you. So between getting help and not being worried about your first draft, that should make it a lot easier to crack through the writer's block and just start getting your ideas down. I had an English teacher when I was seventh eighth grade or something who planted the seed in my head he said authors rewrite their books 10 20 times and i remember when i heard that i thought oh man well i'm never going to write a book so I, I don't want to have to write it 10 times and then when i wrote my first book i realized yep you, this is what happens you write it about 10 times but it's not like you sit down and you write the book from beginning to end 10 times it's that you're going back and you're editing and you're moving things around and books don't usually come out just they don't they never come out fully formed it's more that you start taking notes on something and you create a slide deck to give a presentation or you give a talk. And so you're writing these notes down. And then you say, oh, I can add something here and I add something here. And then for a lot of people, it's over a period of years that they start collecting all this information and organizing it. And then they realize one day, gee, I've got like 80 pages of notes here. I could just turn this into a book and add a- some stories, add some case studies, and I'd have my book there. That's how a lot of books come about. It's not somebody just sitting down and saying, all right, I'm going to open up a notebook and start writing and that's going to be my book.
1: Well, tell me this. So let's say I set up a time and I, I set up to do this first thing so that the rest of my business day doesn't get in the way, you know, get it out of the way first so it doesn't get hijacked, right? And I'm alternating between my business partner and one of my assistants to be explaining the book to, depending on the subject matter part. And, you know, I'm all excited about this and we've got it scheduled out and I've got my plan and we're committed to it. And then real life happens and this problem comes up and we start skipping days. And then it ends up it's been a while since we've actually been doing the book. Any any thoughts about getting back on the wagon?
0: Commitment is a large part of it, but environment is another huge part. I found that if I say to myself, okay, I'm really going to work hard on my book and I'm going to write in my book every day. If that's all I say, it will never happen. But if I wake up at 4 a.m. and I say the first hour I'm awake is dedicated to my book and I do not do anything else until I work on my book and it's early morning, nobody's interrupting me, nothing is urgent at this point. If I dedicate that first hour to my book, it gets done. And you'd be amazed what happens if you just write an hour a day, five days a week, that's 20 hours a month. You'd be amazed at how much you can get done with that time that doesn't feel like it's being taken away from anything else.
1: Yeah, I love it. Well, when people resist that, I think for me, I thought like, man, that's not very humble of me to like, you know, become one of these rah-rah guys who waves their arms around and says, look at me, look at me. Can you talk about Guiding people through like that doesn't have to be the only kind of book out there.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of Gary Keller's book, The One Thing, which so Gary Keller, he founded Keller Williams, which is now the largest real estate agency in the United States. And he has this book, The One Thing, that has sold over a million copies. It's his runaway bestseller. But when you read the book, you never get the impression that Gary is saying, look at me, look at what a great guy I am, or look how amazing I am. That's not the tone of the book. And if you think about the books that you've read, that's really not the tone of any of the books that you read. And so you don't have to be pointing at yourself and saying, look how amazing I am, just because you write a book. In fact, that's not going to come through unless you intentionally do that, but most people are not going to do that. So what you're going to do instead is you're going to focus on your audience and you're going to say, how can I help my audience? How can I serve them? How can I give them information that's going to be what they need? And that's what Gary Keller did. This book, The One Thing, it's not about real estate. It's a book about focus and setting goals and making plans and doing that one thing every day that is the most important thing that you have to do. And it's more of a time management or productivity type of book than anything else. What does this have to do with real estate? How did this help grow his real estate company? Well, the thing is, is when it became a bestseller, people got familiar with his name, they got familiar with the company. I'm sure it was a big boost for realtors to come work for him because they're like, man, I read your book, I really wanna work with your company. And so that helped him to recruit people that were good people to work for him and that were aligned with his philosophy. And he gives huge credit to that book in growing his business, even though the book has nothing to do with him. It's not about him. The book has nothing to do with his business. It's not about his business. It's not about the industry he's in. And any of us can write that type of book, a how-to book or a help book, self-help type book. And we all have knowledge in our head that will help somebody else. And if we focus on serving the audience, it's not going to come across as, hey, look at me.
1: Yeah. Well for people who don't end up taking your course, let's kind of give them like the freebie version here. Maybe for the end of this part one, we can talk about what you're going to like, what you teach them for those first three months. And then in part two, we can go through the the following nine months of, you know, book launch and speaking and all that kind of stuff. So in those first three months, can you talk about helping people figure out the right subject matter and the outline? And you know, obviously it's just an overview, but kind of what you're going to be doing there.
0: Sure. I think it's worth emphasizing again that the first thing that people need to get out of this course or need to do before they become an author is to change their mindset and just start seeing themselves as an author and realize that, yes, you can do this. And everybody's got a book in them. Everybody can do this, whether you're using editors or ghostwriters or transcribers. Everybody's got a book within them, and everybody's got the ability to put out a book and put out a good book. But you might need help. You might need tools. You might need somebody to guide you through that. But everybody's got that, and they can do that. Once you realize that, it becomes a lot easier to figure out the, the stuff. It's like Nietzsche said, "Who he who has a strong enough why can deal with any how. Once you know why you're writing this book and that you can do it, then you'll figure out the how. And that's the next thing is this why. Like, why are you doing this? And a lot of people, they think about writing a book and they think, well, I, I want to go write a bestseller, but how can I do that? Well, yeah, it'd be nice to write a bestseller. If my kid came to me and said, I want to write a bestseller, I'd say, that's great. You know, that's, that, I'd approach that the same way as if they said, I want to be Michael Jordan. I want to go play in the NBA. I'd be like, that's great. But tell me why you want to do this. Because if they came back and said, well, I want to be Michael Jordan because he has a lot of money and he lives in a big house, I might sit down with my child and say, well, let's talk about other ways that you can do that. Because yes, being Michael Jordan is one way you can do that. But there might be easier ways that are more tapped into your talents and skills and abilities that could help you do that. I want to support people when they say, I want to write a bestseller. But at the same time, it's so rare that that happens and maybe that's not really your goal. If your goal is I want to generate a few million dollars more income for myself through my business, well, you don't have to be a bestseller. You can sell a couple hundred book, couple hundred books, and do that. So to the right there are people, lots of different. If you
1: sell them to the right people, right?
0: Yeah, to the right people. I mean, my first book, I think it has sold somewhere around two or three thousand copies right now. I don't really track how many copies it sells. I don't really care. What I care about is when somebody gets my book and they call me up and they say, I read your book and I want to hire your agency. That's the only sale I really care about. Or when that person called me up a few years ago and said, I read your book and I want to invite you to hang out with Richard Branson on his island for a week. That was crazy, right? And But like that was one book. That was one sale. And that was amazing.
1: Can can you talk about how you almost deleted that because you thought it was spam?
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean... What am I supposed to do? I'm Here I am. I started writing for Forbes a few years before. So yeah, people are reaching out to me and people are asking me stuff. And writing for Forbes was, it opened doors, right? So I could get into like any event that I wanted to get into by saying, hey, I, I write for Forbes. And, but I wasn't used to being treated that way. And I wasn't used to people coming up to me and saying, hey, I know who you are. You're Josh Dymler. I mean, that was weird for me. And so I wrote my book and then I get this email from this woman. And she says, hey, I want to invite you to spend uh, all-expenses-paid trip to hang out with Richard Branson on Necker Island in the Caribbean. I'm thinking, yeah, I, I get like 50 of these emails a day. Most of them go to spam. Spam didn't catch this one. And yeah, I almost deleted this. But then I was like, wait a second. She said in her email that she had read my book. Like, that's not something that you find in a spam email. That's pretty customized. And so I started looking at the email and I was like, well, wait a second. Okay, she did her research, but she's a salesperson or something. And this event probably costs $50,000, which I did not have at the time and I don't have today either. But, you know, this thing costs $50,000 and not, you know, that'd be great to hang out with Richard Branson, but I'm not going to pay 50 grand to go do it or something. So that's what I'm thinking. But I thought, well, I might as well email her back and just find out what the pitch is here since she was kind enough to buy my book and evidently read it. So I email her back and I said, so what's the catch here? Like, There's got to be a catch. She's like, no, no. like Seriously, we're putting this event together with 80 people. They're all these business leaders. We've got the head of Forbes and the president of Time Magazine, and we've got guys from Snap and Twitter and Foursquare and all these entrepreneurs coming and venture capitalists and all this stuff. And we're going to hang out for a week and talk about marketing and stuff. And I read your book and I thought that you'd be a great person to come along on this. And I was like, seriously? All right. So I booked my tickets and I got there and I spent a week on Richard Branson's Island hanging out with all these amazing people. I was like the smallest guy there. I was like, Everybody's like, so what do you do? I'm like, I wrote a book. That's why I'm here. And they're, like, I'm like, what do you do? Oh, I run Wired Magazine. Or I'm Gary Vaynerchuk's business partner. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I have a book. And, <laughs> but, it, but that was it. That was it. I mean, the book got me there. So it was great. And yeah, I got to meet uh, Richard Branson, hang out with him. So that was amazing. Amazing experience. And it wouldn't have happened except that I wrote a book.
1: Well, maybe something to finish off part one here is, And this is something that I've really appreciated about hanging out with you for the last few years, since we, since we met on the show here originally, right. Is you do have a, you do have like this core message consistently through your stuff of like, it's not about you. It's about helping other people. Can you talk about that as like your guiding principle and like why you think that's maybe made you more successful than some other people's approaches?
0: I started with this approach because I needed to say this to myself. I've chased, I've spent too much of my life chasing money, trying to build a big business just for the sake of having those dollar signs on the business or in my bank account or something. And at some point I realized life's too short for this. I mean, yes, it's nice to have money to pay for things, to be able to do things that you want to do, but that's not enough purpose in life. I mean, businesses are made to make money the way that people are made to eat food. Yeah, if you don't eat food, you die. If the business doesn't make money, it dies. But if the only reason a human being is alive is so that they can go eat food, that's a pretty empty existence. We want to do so much more than just eat food. And with our businesses, we want to do so much more than just make money and once i started reminding myself of that i started realizing everybody else out there is the same way yes we have to make money but nobody wants to live just for that everybody has bigger dreams than that and so that became this thread in what i talk about because i know people are out there and they want to make an impact they want to make a difference in the world they want to know that their life matters somehow and that's what i want to draw out of them that's what i want and i want to help people who want that as well and the way I look at it is if I could help in the next year, a hundred entrepreneurs to publish books that make a difference and make the world a better place. That's great for me. I just helped those people. I just helped a hundred books come into existence that wouldn't have been in existence otherwise. So for me, that's huge impact. And that's why I started this. That's why I'm trying to do this is I want to see, I mean, when I sit down with Stacy or Ben or Blake, I'm like, these people could help so many people. And if I can help them get that book out there, that makes me feel good. That makes me feel like my life matters.
1: I love it. Well, everybody, check out Josh's new course, 7sinfluence.com. That's number 7sinfluence.com. Thanks so much. Tune back in for part two. We're going to ask Josh more of his tips and tricks and lessons he's learned in actually getting your book out there instead of just having a book be written. Thanks so much.